Hi, this is Michelle Mazur, author of The Three-Word Rebellion, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Michelle Mazur. Michelle is a messaging expert who works with brilliant business owners who are shaking things up but having trouble talking about it. She combines the tools of successful social movements with the qualitative research skills she earned in her communications PhD to help them craft their powerful, captivating message. Michelle lives in Seattle, Washington, and is here to talk about her book, Three Word Rebellion. Create a one-of-a-kind message that grows your business into a movement. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. It's I'm thrilled a, to be here. to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? Ooh, growing up. I was a very strange child and I was really into politics at a very young age. Like I'm talking second grade. I would say one of the bigger influences was John F. Kennedy. My mom loved John F. Kennedy. He was this amazing speaker and charismatic and beautiful family, very tragic story. But he was just someone that I looked up to as somebody who was trying to do a lot of good in the world and who did some amazing things like with the moonshot. So I always looked up to him. Where did you grow up? What part of the country? I'm, I'm wondering if you were growing up in D.C. or another town that had politics. I grew up in so Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. I, I love the whole moon story. I love everything about space travel and exploring different areas, watching the Elon Musk story on Amazon now. It, it's just wonderful. It's so inspiring. When you were following JFK, what was one of the messages or examples that you took away as JFK inspired you as someone who was a youngster in elementary school? Yeah, what I took away, and I think this was my naive hope for politicians back in the day, because I feel like this is not true of today. And that was, I really believed that politicians were trying to do good in the world. They were actively trying to pass policies to make the world a better place. I saw that with John F. Kennedy. And the first election that I remember was Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan. I really wanted Jimmy Carter to win because I thought he was a good man who was doing good for people. Of course, he lost in a landslide. But that's what he represented to me was this person who was trying to make the world a better place. And I'm sure sure that had an imprint on you. It really made you want to do well, I believe, and help people do better in their lives. I remember from the book that you actually told your mom that you wanted to be a politician because politicians help people. <laughs> that was sweet. Yeah, that was exactly it. Do you remember a time early in your career when the influence of JFK came through in how you approached something, a decision that you made, or how you took action in a particular way? Yeah, it's interesting because my background is I have a PhD. PhD in communication. So I went very much in depth into how do you communicate? I think for me, that was always the lesson of these politicians, whether it was John F. Kennedy Jr. or Martin Luther King or even Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton, was that they were all these great speakers, these great communicators. For me, every lesson goes back to that communication is this act of creating shared meaning. And you know, what? That's really 
hard to get what's up in your head transmitted to someone else so that they understand it and so that they can be persuaded and bought into it. I look at people like JFK and Martin Luther King as masters in that communication craft, masters in persuasion and influence. They make it look so easy and effortless, but because I've done such in-depth study into the topic, I know that stuff of communication is? It's really important because we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about having a great idea, getting great results for clients and looking to scale it up because that's really the gap that you noticed that started this, isn't it? Yeah. I keep seeing this with my clients again and again. A lot of my clients will rely on word of mouth marketing and that's great. Their clients love them. They refer them to other people and that's not reliable. They don't feel any control when those referrals are going to come in and they don't know if this is going to be like their best month in revenue ever or if it's just they're going to squeak it out. The reason they have just relied on word of mouth is because they think marketing doesn't work. It just doesn't work. They've taken a bunch of courses, been in programs, spent a lot of money on it and they're like, yeah, this isn't right. It doesn't work for me. It's not that it doesn't work. They just don't know what to say in their marketing to actually get people interested. I work mostly with online business owners and in the online business space, we talk a lot about marketing, but we don't talk about the marketing message. What do you say to actually move people from being a stranger to wanting to do? You can't be a thought leader if you have no followers. Yes. One of the things I notice with my clients is I call this the overlooked expert problem. They see all the people with the shiny marketing who are like the celebrity entrepreneurs in their industry and they seem to be getting all of the clients and making all of this money and they're selling you their lifestyle. Meanwhile, they're below all of that thinking, wait, I'm actually better. I have more experience, more expertise, more skills, but why don't people know about me? What I find is experts really don't know how to tell their story. They don't know how to communicate the value they're creating. They speak in their language of expertise. No one knows what they're talking about. They're not not meeting their people where they are. That's why experts tend to be overlooked. This is a really common issue. You and I both know that you can't scroll on Facebook for more than five seconds without somebody saying, buy my program and you too can enjoy a six-figure lifestyle in six seconds. All you have to do is just buy my program. And they leave out all of the key pieces of what's necessary to attract clients and to bring them in and the infrastructure. But let's just talk about the messaging. What is one of the big overlooked areas that people often mistakenly think of when they try to reach beyond people they know trust already, or rather who know trust them already. Okay, I see several issues. I'll be pithy about this. The first thing is I think people believe that messaging is just like your I help statement. I help X do Y so that they can Z. Yes, that can be a part of your messaging, but really messaging is this comprehensive strategy that runs through your marketing, your sales, your your PR, what you say in your copy on your website. It's really important to have that comprehensive, cohesive message that runs across everything. The other thing I think they really overlook is how messaging can differentiate you from everyone else. It can create your own unique place in the market. I think about my own industry because I feel like it's always good to go there first. I see the three-word rebellion, which is my messaging framework. I see 
Story Brand from Donald Miller or Red Thread from Tamsin Webster. We have all carved out our own unique place in that market. But then I see all these folks talking about magnetic messaging. I did this little experiment where I typed that phrase into Instagram and I got hundreds of results from hundreds of different people. All of those people are competing for the same spot in the marketplace. And that's very overcrowded. I think and I feel like that happens in almost every industry. I think about life coaches. Live your purpose, align with your purpose, live your best life. Meanwhile, you have Mel Robbins talking about the five second rule. She has carved out her own unique spot in the marketplace. That is really what the power of messaging can do. It helps you differentiate and says, okay, this is how I'm different. This is the place of the market I own. Then it helps you lead people to work with you. If we just pull her out and think about her as an example for a couple minutes, she has something that's very distinct. It's super simple. Five, four, three, two, one, go act. Don't let your brain talk you out of it. But one of the most popular speakers, paid speakers for giving that message in 2017, I read in your book that she was one of the most booked paid speakers in the country on the basis of that message. One of the big takeaways is that people shouldn't try to complicate their message. She's making it super simple to understand it and get results. Isn't that one of the keys to having your message work for you to bring people from stranger to saying, hey, let's find out more about what Michelle does? Yeah, I think you're also bringing up another misconception is that people think their message is about them and their business. It isn't. It is really about the person hearing the message. I really believe that why the five second rule is so popular because this happened for me when I first heard this message. I found her on Facebook talking about motivation is crap. Then I'm like, who is this Mel Robbins person? And I'm like, ooh, the five second rule. What is that? Should I be following that rule? There I am Googling, finding her TED talk, buying her book because my brain needed to know she created this message. The purpose was to make me curious. And once I found out what it is, I was like, Oh, that is so simple and so useful at the same time. For me, a great message like that really speaks to the change you're trying to create or that result you're trying to get. So much of the messaging in business is about the company when it really needs to be a message for your So people. I think of your ACC framework where you capture attention. These are the three jobs that your message has to do for you. You capture attention, you create conversation, and then you cultivate connection. Talk about an example of how you help someone who has an ongoing business. They have a good growth. They have a good collection of clients that they work with, and they're looking to reach beyond that. So they're actually bringing new people in rather than continuing to sell to their existing clients. Do you have an example of someone you work with and you help rehabilitate their message to follow that framework? Yes. One of my favorite clients, she was one of the first clients I worked with years ago. Her name is Carrie Schwer, and she lives on the East Coast, I believe. She really helps people figure out if they have a healthy relationship with alcohol. When she started this work, no one else was doing it. There was like one other person that we knew of who was also coaching people to work on their relationship with alcohol. It was such a new concept. And whenever you have a new concept, that means, yeah, you're going to get your hardcore fans in there first who will buy anything from you. But then you really have to build that argument out. For her, we created a three-word rebellion that was going to capture attention, but also be useful for her clients. That was question the drink. 
That was a great mantra for people to remember. Question the drink. And people who are struggling with their relationship with alcohol, ooh, question the drink. How do I do that? I want to know more. Then they would have a conversation with Carrie about her services and what she does. Then she had a process that actually just walks people through, like, how do you assess your relationship with alcohol? Then if you decide that you need to change that relationship, because first you have to go through the assessment. So this is creating the conversation. You have to go through the assessment, figure out, okay, is this something that I need to change? If it is, then what does that look like? She captures people's attention and then she guides them through her process. The third part with creating connection, that's all about storytelling. Carrie had a difficult relationship with alcohol herself that culminated in a very embarrassing experience where she like pretty much humiliated herself and her husband that caused her to start questioning her own relationship with alcohol. Those three components together, she has questioned the drink. She knows what she needs to say to take people from getting their attention and them wanting to know more to being bought in. And she also has her own story and her own experience that we bring into the mix to really create that emotional connection to say, hey, I get you and get what you've been through or you're going through because I've been there too. What I like about that is that what she's done with saying question the drink is it makes people stop feeling bad about themselves. It makes them think that they're not to blame and reclaims the power and saying, I can ask a question and evaluate something out there, the drink and what my relationship is with this third entity, not me, not the drink, but my relationship to the drink in this context and how that's going to work really is very empowering. And I could see how that gives people an instant hit of success which is necessary to bring people into your tribe. Yes. I love that point that you made of how it takes it outside of you, especially coaches who deal with people's struggle. It's so easy to blame ourselves for things and be like, oh, I'm the bad person here. It's no, this is outside of me. It's one of the jobs is to help them take action and they could take action privately by questioning the drink or they could take action as part of a community and get better results that way. The spreading the message is also really interesting to get people to understand the three-word rebellion that you're helping your clients create and then spread it to others. Because I love how you describe it in the book where you have them say, look, if someone gets a good result from what you're helping them with, they say, hell yes. Then the changes, they're going to want to work with you. They're going to want to talk with you and they're going to want to talk with others about that change. How do you think about helping people take it so that others can talk about it and then the message becomes active without you having to always be part of the conversation? That's the beauty of the three-word rebellion is that since it is a short message, it's two to five words, it encapsulates the change that you want to create for your audience. That means that message is highly sticky so that people, when they're talking about your work, they can say, oh, Carrie, she helped me question the drink and change my relationship with alcohol. You get it right away. Or somebody refers me and she's like, Michelle creates three-word rebellions, which is your core message that encapsulates the change you want to create and is that lighthouse for your whole business. People just get it. Then they start wondering, what are my three words? When you give people something short and memorable, it's just easier for them to refer you, to recommend you, to spread that message for you. It takes a life of its own. And I think probably the best example of this is Simon Sinek and Start With Why. That message just caught on like wildfire. Now, every 
everybody talks about Start With Why. Simon Sinek is doing other things. Like, that is not his main business anymore. He's busy writing books about leadership. But that message is still out there and people are talking about it. It's just reached that critical mass. That is the power of a spreadable message. Absolutely. It's really interesting how Simon Sinek starts with why and his is a three-word message. I started thinking about this as I was reading your book, Three-Word Rebellion. And where would Tim Ferriss be without four-hour work week? Where would Tony Robbins be without his first workshop, which was Fear into Power? Yeah, exactly. It is a pattern. Once you hear about three-word rebellions, you start seeing them everywhere because politicians use them, social movements use them, successful entrepreneurs and speakers use them because it is just such an effective way to build your brand awareness, essentially, but get stuck in the minds of people. That's really as business owners, especially, oh my gosh, we live in such an attention-starved place anymore where everybody's constantly broadcasting Do you remember when that moment was for you when you first crystallized three-word rebellion and you started working with it? You you kept it to yourself for a little bit. Then all of a sudden, there was an event that actually was a turning point. Can you share that story, please? Yeah. I remember I had a lunch with my friend Jenny Nash, and she is a book coach. I was telling her about this idea or this pattern that I recognize between how social movements have these short, captivating messages that talk about the change they want to create. And then some of the biggest name speakers and entrepreneurs do the same thing. She was like, wow, I think there's really something here. She's like, you know, you can call it something like the three word speech, because at that point in time, I was doing public speaking coaching and I wanted to get out of that. Ooh, love the three words. <laughs> so I went, I know, I'm like, okay, we're go with three word, but three words something. I sat with it for a, a couple of days and I realized my company is called Communication Rebel. It would be a three word rebellion. I was like, oh, this could be something. Like it just had that feeling, that overwhelming feeling, which is why I didn't really talk about it for a week. I didn't even tell my husband about it for at least a week. Then, What I decided to do is I realized it's okay. So I have this cool thing. I don't know how to talk about it. It's new. It's different. I think when I explain it to people, they'll get it, but I don't know how to do that. I wanted to make sure that it resonated with other people. So I decided I was just going to do a free webinar for my existing audience. I said, hey, I've come up with this new idea called the Three Word Rebellion, and I would love it if you would just come to this workshop, hear about it, and give me any feedback that you have. I did the workshop. They loved it. They were like, this is a phenomenal idea. They gave me some great feedback that helped me shape some of what went into the book. Also, I got feedback on how to talk about it. It was really that pivotal moment of just taking this idea that I shared with just a few people and being like, all right, let's see if it has any legs at all. I'm going to put it out there and see how people responded. I think I had a 150 people or something show up to that webinar to hear about. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And what about when you first shared it with people who you didn't know directly? What was the moment that you saw, wow, this really does capture people's attention and create those conversations? When I used to go to networking events before the world happened, I always loved introducing myself because I could say, oh, I create three-word rebellions for small businesses. And they'd be like, oh, what's a three-word rebellion? And I could have a conversation because I could go into the questions of like, so tell me, is there any thing that that ticks you off about your industry. Of course, they'd be like, yeah, this and this. I'd be like, okay, so how would you like to change it? They'd be like, this and this. I was like, I take all of that you just told me, and then I create a simple, sticky, one-of-a-kind message that really positions you in the marketplace. 
oh, that's cool. Because I could give them a little taste of what the process was like right there. So they knew what it was all about. And they're like, yeah, I could see how having that core message is so important. In listening to that, you could help someone. People could be watching over your shoulder and you've given them a helpful way to think about their business and their positioning and their messaging all in 90 seconds. I recognize the power of that. I think that many people are experiencing, especially now where we haven't had the opportunities to network and get together, what I refer to after reading your book as the Jesse phenomenon. And that's where an entrepreneur starts out (laughs) with great success. The client loves it. And so Jesse wants to share her solution with a larger audience and have a bigger impact and make more income. What happens next? Oh, yes. The Jesse phenomenon. Jesse decides, as most of us do, that she needs a lot of marketing. So she goes ahead and she takes some marketing courses. Maybe she hires a copywriter. She hires a team, publicity. And then it doesn't really work or it has middling success. She's like, what's going on? I thought marketing was the way to get my work out into the world, that I would reach more people. What Jesse doesn't realize is that she skipped the step of creating a message to market her thing. You have to know what you want to say in order to make marketing work. I firmly believe any marketing strategy can work for you as long as it's aligned with your values and you have a message that actually powers it. I have seen a lot of Jesse. It is a common mistake. They have a desire to help others. They have the capability to help others, but they don't have the vehicle to let others know that their help is available and that they're competent in it. Nobody wants to be the first to go through a process, but people want to hear about the successes. It's that kind of vehicle. What I took away from that story was is that Jesse's problem isn't the marketing. She was getting out there. She was sharing things on social media. She was sharing things through direct messaging. It was her her messaging, it wasn't correctly architected to create a rebellion. Can you say more about that? Yeah. To create a rebellion, to create interest, to create conversation. I love the idea of the architecture of the message because I think messaging and communication is one of those things that we don't think a lot about. I always say it's a little bit like electricity. When our communication is working, we don't think about it. When electricity works, we don't think about it. But as soon as the power goes out and our computer is off and we're scrambling to the fuse box, we're like, what is wrong? But with messaging, we're like, why isn't this working? We never think about the fact you don't know how to convey what it is you want to say and say it in a way that actually makes people interested and persuades them and actually lets them know what it is you do. Because sometimes you can be reading someone's website and you're like, I don't know what you do. Or I've been talking to you for 10 minutes and I have no clue how you help people or the problem your business solves. It's something I wish we thought more about. When I was in corporate, it always blew me away that Fortune 500 companies will spend millions upon millions of dollars to test their message before the big launch of a new product. We don't even think about messaging in the online space. It's like, oh, use my swipe file, use my template, you'll be fine. Those templates just make you sound like everyone else, but also there's usually some really manipulative stuff in there that you might not be aligned. How is worrying about the how of delivering a service or a product a trap as you're designing your message? Oh, we get so stuck in that one. What I see mostly from almost every website I've ever been on is that they're very solution focused. It's like, this is how we do the thing we do. Let me give you my solution. They never really focus on Eugene Schwartz 
customer awareness spectrum, right? He talks about there's unaware audiences that don't know they have a problem yet and they don't know you. And there are problem aware audiences who know that there's something up, but they don't know exactly what it is and they have to diagnose it. But most of us think, oh, all of my audience knows that this is their problem and they're just looking for a solution. That is not at all true. If you go to somebody's website, I can always tell when they're just like, yeah, you need life coaching or you need an accountant or no, you kind of have to meet people where they are, address what their problem is and then show them what the solution is. Really build out that argument instead of just forcing the solution. And especially when I would look at somebody's social media and it's all about their solution, their steps, their testimonials. They're like, why don't I get engagement? I'm like, because you're constantly just pushing your solution. You're not actually building that relationship. You're not meeting people where they are. Having a three-word rebellion that's honed and crafted and architected by following the steps and learning from what you teach, both in your book and your online workshops, you know that's also not sufficient. It needs to go further. Can you talk about what other types of messages people need to be thinking about and expecting so that even when they have a three-word rebellion slogan or or tagline, it's not going to do the entire job? What else do people need to be thinking about in terms of their message collateral? That's a great question. I stumbled on this really early in my process with the three-word rebellion. I came up with it and I was like, great, this is going to get people's attention, but how do I make them care? How do I get them to buy in, to want to work with me on their message? I call this the client decision journey. The client decision journey is a systematic way of moving people from unaware to problem aware to solution aware to like aware of what you're selling. You have to think about what are the critical conversations I need to have to help someone diagnose the problem that they're actually having. Because even if they don't have the problem you solve, if you help them figure out what actually is going on, they will be loyal. They will really appreciate it. They will recommend you to other people. You have to figure out what are those key conversations that you can then use in your content. And along with that, what are the belief shifts people have to have in order to work with you? What are your calls to action? I also help my clients create something called a why buy statement, which is a one sentence statement that is the most compelling reason to do business with you. The key of this is that it has to be 100% in your control. So my why buy statement for the three word rebellion messaging intensive is powerfully and persuasively communicate the value your business creates, whether you're talking to one person or a million. All of this messaging, this client decision journey, it helps you build that argument for your work. But then you need to make that emotional connection, right? Like logic is great. And I love that for persuasion. But your people also need to resonate with you. You have to have that connection story. They also need to see what's possible for them. That's where your client case studies come in. I call these reason to believe stories. Also, I always love to bring in what I call elevated social proof, which is research or examples that exist outside of your business. So during our conversation, like I talked about Simon Sinek and Start With Why and Mel Robbins, the five second rule, all of those are three word rebellions that I didn't have anything to do with, but I can point to and say, this thing exists and it works. That can be compelling and persuasive component of creating that other messaging that gets people to want to work with you. There's nothing like having in someone who's an experience guide like yourself in order to help people see where are the gaps, how to fill them, how to test them. Because communications, as you and I both know, is a lot more involved than just coming up with something snappy. And- yes. 
Yes. Yes, 100%. So, Michelle, what excites you most about doing the work that you're doing right now? I love the ideas. I'm a multi-passionate person. Every client I work with is a little bit different. And I've worked in so many different industries. I love the fact that I get to learn something new from each client, whether they're an attorney, an astrologer, a coach. I'm working with someone who helps people organize their photos and tell the story behind their photos. I get to learn something new every single day. That excites me. Michelle, I want to ask you're ready for the my quest for the best lightning round. Sure, let's do it. So we started the conversation talking about the three word rebellion, you being inspired by by JFK. I was also struck by how many people you were inspired by who have three-letter abbreviations, JFK, MLK. <laughs> the number three is very important. Very important. Michelle, when you were a teenager, what's a song that you loved? The Chauffeur by Duran Duran. It's very moody and it's on Rio. I'm a big Duran Duran fan, just so you know, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but I think you should go and look up the concert video of it because the video itself is really racy. <laughs> Excellent. What is the most effective way that you use to get the word out about your mission to incite entrepreneurs to launch their own three-word rebellions to serve their audience and their tribe each week? The book, when you really have a framework, a book is one of the best ways to get your message out there. And also podcasts and talking on other people's podcasts. Let me point out that it's called a book, but it's really a workbook. What you're sharing with people is a workbook. It's an experience to take you on a journey from not understanding how to do this to really having it and honing it to get to a point where it's useful. just wanted to add that. Here's a question for you. Will this communications approach completely fall apart if there are any fewer or more than three words being used? You could have two to five words. I wouldn't say more than five because people can't remember. And you need at least two to make a pattern, right? The words need to hang together in order to be memorable. Two to five is the sweet spot. But the two to five word rebellion makes a horrible book title. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't work nearly as well. I, I love it when I come across things where people are looking to fit into a three word pattern, like Marie Forello's Everything is Figure Outable. That just cracks me up every time I think about that. It, it's great content and the title is memorable and she fit it into the pattern. It was funny. What would you say is the best advice you've received as an adult? Ooh, as an adult, the thing that pops to my head is say yes and you'll figure it out after words, which I believe is a quote from Tina Fey. What of your TV friends? I know. What are my TV friends? I was always just stuck with me, especially when you get an opportunity that feels too big and you don't feel ready for it, just to say yes to it and you'll figure it out. What would you say is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Attribution not necessary. Ooh, worst piece of advice. Keep going in that relationship. That was a very specific example. <laughs> there was a relationship where I stayed way too long. Got it. In the past. Yes, yes. Uh, now I'm happily married. In the last six months, what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made? Ooh, what is the best $100 or so purchase I've made? Oh, I bought a really high quality like Dyson off-brand hair dryer. That was a really good purchase because I have very thick hair and it dries it very quickly, which I appreciate. Can also double as a leaf blower. It's so powerful, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It also scares my cats. So that's amazing. How do you define personal success? Complete the prompt. I know I'm being successful when when I feel fulfilled, when I'm just that sense of satisfaction that I'm doing great work, I just feel content in life. I've grown out of the 
always needing to achieve. And I'm always looking for what does enough feel like? When's the time you had that experience lately? I would say in the business, since I've created the Three Word Rebellion framework, things have been very stable in the business and it feels good. I know there's that common thread, like you should be growing, you should be scaling. I'm like, but I really don't need to. I'm making enough money. I'm able to save. I'm able to invest, like all of those things. That feels like enoughness. I don't need to chase the seven figure dream because that's somebody else's dream. I know people are selling that to me, but I don't want that dream. If you think about the last year or so, what's been the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped, eliminated from your life that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Not looking at my phone first thing in the morning. Where do you, you put never... it so it's not something you, you look at? It's in the kitchen. When I get up, I will, and I won't touch it, I'll go get my coffee and I'll come back to the living room and I'll read in the morning and I'll journal and I would never put it in my bedroom at night. So I can just have that morning time before you open up your phone and look at your email and your day can get so hijacked based on what's in your inbox. It's been this great habit for creating like a little peace of mind in the morning and really giving me the ability to ground and root myself into the day versus just reacting to everything. Good for you. I want to ask you, what do you do about the dilution of a message or a brand? You've noticed how interchangeable messages are on the internet these days. Everybody seems like they're saying the same thing because they heard someone else succeed with it. John Lee Dumas, a friend of mine who started Entrepreneurs on Fire, the only five-day-a-week podcast that brings the voices of successful entrepreneurs to millions of listeners each year, and he earns a seven-figure revenue doing it. Now, suddenly, we have nurses on fire, we have dog watchers on fire, and accountants on fire. I'm sure somewhere someone's starting a podcast for firemen on fire. But you can't stop people from being lazy or borderline unethical. What's your take on how to design a space and a brand and then just claim it? regardless of what's happening around you. Yeah, I think that goes back into the uniqueness of the message because I really want a message that people could own and trademark, right? Like you could just trademark three-word rebellion, or it is trademarked. So I think that is part of it. But then I always say when you see people starting to copycat you, that can be actually a good thing because people who are doing Nurses on Fire are not direct competitors of John Lee Dumas. You have to always think, are these people directly competing against me? Because if someone started their four-word rebellion workshop and we're doing the exact same thing, I'd be like, yeah, that's a cease and desist letter in the making. But sometimes that copycatting is a high form of flattery, especially especially when it's in a different industry. But I think the other cool thing is, yes, you can niche down and own this message and trademark it, but you as a human being are also going to evolve. Like my three-word rebellion will probably not be the last three-word rebellion that I have. I think that's a cool thing is that we can always be evolving and refining our message because I feel like when something catches on like that, then you also feel like you want to move on to something else too. There's a new iteration of your work yet to come. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for sharing yourself, your background, and your contributions on My Quest for the Best. You've talked about so many ideas to help spark our own three-word rebellions. And I'll always smile thinking about one of your later comments where when you launched three-word rebellion in your business, it actually brought a greater degree of st a stability and prosperity 
even though it had to do with creating rebellions. I thought that was pretty neat. Just got to love it for that reason alone. We've talked about the overwhelmed expert problem, the Jesse phenomenon, making sure that you look at how and look at the model of others, but you don't try to copy them. You come up with your own unique message. We talked about Schwartz's customer awareness spectrum. And for these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you for joining me today on my quest for the best. You are so welcome. This is my pleasure. Michelle, before we say goodbye for now, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, if you want to get a taste of what the three-word rebellion is, I have created a mini audio workshop that walks you through the process. It has a playbook that goes with it, so you can go and grab that at threewordrebellion.com. Terrific. In your book, you point out and you want to make sure that you remind people that you don't build business for yourself. You build your business for the people who are changed by your three-word rebellion. Michelle Mazur, author of Three-Word Rebellion, create a -a one-of-a-kind message that grows your business into a movement. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.